Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 100. With this milestone of reaching 100 Q&A episodes, let me remind you that you can see all previous Q&As on scientifictriathlon.com. Just uh, go to the podcast menu and uh, below that you'll see a sub-menu item called Q&A episode archives. And you can just look at the title of each episode and get a quick overview of what has been discussed there. And this can be especially useful for those of you sending in questions. I do my best to answer as many questions as possible, but there is a significant backlog of questions. So while you're waiting for a question to be answered, it can be a good idea to browse the the archives for episodes on the same or similar topics as a starting point. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. In one of their recent blogs, uh, Precision Hydration wrote about how Team Sunweb, so they interviewed the Team Sunweb nutritionist actually, and how they used the lockdown to refine the hydration strategies of their riders, which they're now using as the cycling race season is ramping up and we're actually approaching the Tour de France, hopefully. So yeah, that was one recent blog article that I found really useful and a good read. And uh, as always, Precision Hydration, they put up quality content on their blog and other channels so highly recommend that you follow them you can learn a lot about your hydration and nutrition and just training in general by following them of course for hydration specifics which is their uh, basic the ethos of the companies to help you with hydration uh, check out their free online sweat test to get a personalized hydration strategy and then you can use the discount code that draft on show one five to get 15 percent off your order of electrolytes. One of the questions we have today later on is about uh, training in really uh, high heat index environments. So where it's very hot and humid. And that's the kind of environment where hydration becomes even more important than in, in most other environments. So definitely can become a critical piece of the puzzle even. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world leading manufacturers of wetsuits, dry suits, swimkins, goggles, and high performance eyewear. And now we might have some races coming up, at least in Europe, uh, very soon. We are, as of this recording, uh, potentially just uh, two and a half weeks away or so from uh, some racing in Switzerland, Estonia. Uh, I believe uh, that those races are still on by Ironman. And uh, some of you may have uh, races that have been rescheduled to later in the year. Uh, I have Ironman Portugal in November, so uh, quite some time still to go until that. Let's see what happens with this racing season. But uh, if you are uh, registered for a race and uh, you are in need of a new wetsuit or tri suit, then definitely check out Roka's website and their products. The wetsuits I have raved about many times because they are absolutely amazing. Uh, I use the Maverick MX, the Max Buoyancy wetsuit, and the Maverick X2, which is the flagship model. And I like using both of them, but uh, the majority of my swims, I actually use the MX for training to save the X2 for racing when I want a little bit of an extra kick and also to make sure that I don't uh, overuse it and uh, have it uh, wear out uh, too quickly. You can get 20% off your Roka order with a discount code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Now on to today's questions. The first one is from Anthony in the Netherlands who writes, Hi Michael, I have a question for your Q&A podcast. I really love the show and learn lots from it. I am a 45 year old from Holland with an endurance career of 25 years, first running now triathlon. 
Uh, I have had three operations on my ankle and uh, scar tissue that uh, quickly irritates my ankle and I've had to reduce my running volume significantly. I am happy to be able to run again, but the volume is very limited. I have discovered through trial and error that uh, I have that I can run 35 kilometers per week if I only do zone one and two running in a five zone model. If I add threshold running or zone four running, this is reduced to 25 kilometers per week. And if I add zone five running or, or VO2 max training, it is 20 kilometers per week. I want to do half Ironman later this year, and in a few years I dream of a full Ironman, but I feel limited by my running mileage. How would you organize the training to use the little volume as efficiently as possible for training for the half Ironman? And do you think that with this little volume a full Ironman is possible? Uh, Thank you, and keep up the good work, and stay healthy. All right, thank you, Anthony, for a question. First of all, I think it's really great that you've been able to find out what you can handle currently without getting injured. Because no matter what, not getting injured is the most important priority. Consistent training without disruptions will be the number one factor in how much fitness you can gain for any given race. That said, I would advise against thinking that just because right now, under current circumstances, this is what you can handle, this will also be the case for all eternity going forward. If you sit down and think about different avenues that you could explore to potentially help you gradually increase running volume without getting injured, I bet that you can come up with several potential strategies that are all worth trying. Not all of them will work, maybe most of them will not work, and it will probably cost you a lot of time, effort and money. So I'm not saying that it's easy, but I'm saying that it's possible and it's worth trying if you are really serious and you about wanting to uh, increase your running and in the long run uh, maximize your performances especially when it comes to the Ironman as we'll get to in a little bit but uh, yeah going back to my main point I think it's worth trying all the potential strategies one by one that you can come up with for maybe being able to increase your running volume because it's highly likely in my opinion that something will work and eventually you will be able to run much more than you think is possible right now. So some of the main suggestions that uh, come to mind right away for me include, first of all, work with a really good physiotherapist on a very regular basis. And a general principle here, when I say really good physiotherapist, I mean that I mean work with a really good, find the best one. Because generally, not just in physiotherapy, but in most fields, uh, I think I think that the really good uh, ones are exponentially better than the okay ones. So you you really benefit from finding the one that is the best or among the best. And and that is what can take time, some trial and error as well. I've personally gone through that process, but uh, it is worth it in the end. The second tip that I would have is to work with a really good strength and conditioning coach, because I think that strength and conditioning might also play a role here in you being able to increase your running volume and actually think that this is highly likely so while this is overlapping with physiotherapy for sure but uh, maybe the specific strength and conditioning coaching by somebody who is used to working with athletes and uh, get them to be able to perform despite injuries that's something that can be really worth exploring Another thing that you can try is to experiment with the distribution of your mileage. So for example, is it better for you to run every other day or even every third day or maybe every day? So running shorter, but running every day. Experiment with that. Experiment with different running surfaces. So if you 
can run most of your running on soft surfaces on trails experiment with that experiment with running on the track and treadmills maybe you find something that allows you to run more than running on asphalt experiment with different types of shoes can you go maximalist and potentially have that help you and other equipment does an ankle brace help you or even taping experiment with different warm-up routines uh, so for example dynamic warm-ups or specific dynamic stretching for the ankle even experiment with things like always running off the bike so that you're already uh, really warm when when you're starting your run and might that be something that can help you and uh, those were some that came to mind immediately the the main ones for sure that i think had the most potential are number one and two working with a great physiotherapist and uh, or a great strength and conditioning coach so uh, that's just as a bit of a preamble to actually answering your question which i'll get to now so how to organize your training uh, with under the assumption of your current mileage limits and to get the most out of the limited mileage that you have so you say just to uh, to reiterate what you already wrote that when you add zone five running you drop from 35 kilometers per week to 20 kilometers per week and that's more than a 40 percent reduction in volume which is way too much it's definitely not worth dropping that much volume for the potential benefits of adding that type of high intensity work on the other hand when you add a threshold work so zone four type of training then you drop from 35 to 25 it's almost 30 percent so in my opinion it's still too much for what you get what i would try to do is to add a weekly or even just a bi-weekly zone three tempo run and see if you can get away with that while having a minimal or even no volume reduction so even if you drop from 35 to 30 kilometers per week then that would be okay i think but any more than that would maybe be a bit too big of a mileage drop for uh, for it to be beneficial but if you can do this, if you can add a zone three workout and you can drop your volume minimally, then I think that would be the best thing that you can do as it allows you to train race specificity on the run. It improves your capacity to sustain moderate intensities for an extended duration and to spend time at an elevated heart rate level rather than just plodding along uh, constantly at that zone two or even zone one uh, pace and heart rate. So so I would do that as my primary experiment with trying to make your running training as effective as possible. I would also, if possible, try to get in some strides in your weekly routine for a neuromuscular stimulus and for maintaining the capacity and the biomechanics required for speed in order to not have your submaximal training, so like your tempo training and your race pace, creep up to too high a percentage of your maximum output. So strides, just quickly, if you're not aware, you can also Google it and you will find tons of articles and YouTube videos, but they would be short, let's call them 15 second accelerations where you accelerate up to close to maximum speed, but it's not a sprint. You should stay relaxed throughout. So it allows you to practice really great running form, great mechanics, and you would have a full recovery. So maybe walk for a minute or just super easy jogging for a minute or two minutes before you do the next one. And you can do four times 15 seconds, for example, four times 10 seconds, uh, or six times 15 or 10 seconds, or eight. Depends a bit. I would obviously start with just a few. Four times 10 seconds might be a good starting point. And hopefully, due to the minimal bout duration and the total duration, 
it won't really have an impact on your injury risk uh, but that being said it is a fairly high speed although i said it's not a maximum sprint but it is high speed so you need to test and see and uh, yeah just uh, tread carefully there but if you can add them that would be massive because then you can get a little bit of a speed stimulus for a minimal cost that's basically what we're trying what we're after here maximum benefits for minimal cost and cost here is measured in terms of just the the volume reduction and the injury risk increase another thing that is worth trying is to do some of the higher intensity like for example zone four threshold work on the treadmill and do it with a gradient so that the speed is low which means that the impact is low but metabolically you would still be working at threshold you would be able to see this of course in your heart rate response and uh, the reason that i say treadmill is because you live in the netherlands so i assume that you don't have any hills available any longer than a couple of minutes at most but for other listeners that do then that could be done outdoors as well on a long sustained hill so if you introduce this do so carefully as with anything maybe start with something as simple as two times four minutes at threshold and then add one minute per interval per two weeks or per week if everything goes well so that would be another i don't know if you've already tried this perhaps but maybe if you do things like higher intensities at a treadmill with a grade then you can actually get away with doing more of that higher intensity work because the impact isn't going to be any harder than it used to be when you were running it on the flats on the asphalt outdoors i do think that the main high intensity training that you do you can definitely leave for the bike and for the swim as well Uh, i agree that uh, the above threshold work and you say that in your question which i shortened a little bit by the way or you asked that or or put that as a suggestion which is why i say that i agree but i do agree that the above above threshold work uh, on the run in particular exponentially increases the risk of injury so it's probably not worth it for you to even try to do those intervals at your current mileage capacity because the the benefit won't outweigh the risks of doing that Uh, but again i do think that those strides if you can work them in that would be the maximum benefit for the minimal cost if that's possible and uh, to get a bit specific around the programming aspects let's uh, make a first draft of how to structure your program potentially i would uh, initially my uh, my gut feeling my gut reaction is to give you one day off of running Uh, after every run so you would run on alternate days which means that in a two-week period you would have seven runs of these i think that you could start to do just one of them so one run out of seven as a zone three tempo run and you would do that for the first four weeks and if everything goes well during those four weeks then you could maybe try to do two of those seven runs so one run per week as a tempo run The strides could be done as part of any run, really, but uh, I would recommend starting with just once per week and then increase over time if everything goes well. So potentially you could get to the point where all of your 72 runs have a few strides as part of them. I would also try not to combine the intensity with your longest run. So I would keep the tempo run pretty short and sweet, a 10-minute warm-up, and then Uh, gradually build up the tempo segment from maybe starting at 15 minutes of tempo running up to potentially 40 or 45 minutes even and uh, instead for the long run i would have one of your zone two runs be that longest run of the week so given that on 35 kilometers uh, and an average of 3.5 runs per week 
uh, you will average 10 kilometers per run i would start out with your weekly long run being just slightly longer than that average so your long run could be 12 kilometers and uh, and that's roughly seven and a half miles i believe for the imperial listeners and then increase that uh, distance by one kilometers per week until you get to 16 kilometers or roughly 10 miles i wouldn't go longer than 16 to 17 kilometers on your weekly volume of 35 kilometers there would be uh, too many eggs in one basket and uh, not productive at that at that mileage in terms of your low low intensity runs which is the bulk of your training of course you mentioned uh, zone one to zone two in a five zone model and uh, with that i want to specify that if it doesn't make any difference to you in terms of injury risk i would try to make all of those low intensity runs zone two so you will get a little bit more bang for your buck that way compared to doing some zone one some zone two and of course there may be times when your overall training load with the swimming and the biking as well is such that you really feel that okay i'm tired today i need to keep the lid on and go super easy and chill in zone one that's fine but on days when you feel reasonably fresh and you have the choice between going at zone one and zone two then i would go for zone two on your current mileage and get a little bit extra bang for buck uh, and even potentially if you feel good enough aim for the mid to high end of zone two as for your question of if i think that the full ironman is possible with uh, your running volume of 35 kilometers per week and uh, in terms of uh, miles per week i should have done the calculation but i think there would be roughly 22 23 miles per week or so uh so yeah something like that 22 miles per week perhaps uh yes i do think it's possible to do an ironman on that if you combine it with good training and decent volume on the bike especially but also in the pool i also think that if you were to start from scratch and just have done no running and now you're starting to do 35 kilometers per week for 12 weeks leading into an ironman then it would definitely be on the very low side but you mentioned it being a goal that is uh, maybe several years out at least a year out and in this situation i would say that as long as you can keep constantly consistently plugging away at 35 kilometers per week uh, for for years or for at least a year or more then that will add up to a very decent base that will allow you to complete the Ironman. So I say complete uh, because on the run, I think it will be about completing rather than competing. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely think that you can run the entire marathon if your pacing and nutrition is right, but you won't be trying to push the envelope and be aggressive on the run there. You will be conservative and they're on the side of caution. Uh, but finally listen back to what i said about trying out different avenues that will help you break through the current barrier of mileage that you have and uh, and try to find ways to to push that limit up because in triathlon and also outside of triathlon i think we we really are uh, the cap captains of our own ships much much more than we normally give ourselves credit for and uh, i'm not by any means saying that it's easy uh, it's a lot of work and and time effort potentially money but uh, i think that your volume barrier is figure outable so to say and that you can push it forward or push it up to a higher number and that will allow you to even better prepare for an ironman in the future i hope that this helps good luck with uh, both the half ironman and then later on hopefully the full ironman the next question today is from adam who writes hello michael my name is adam i'm 44 from houston texas I've been running for most of my life and have completed a few triathlons. 
Uh, I recently began training for the 7.23 in Texas, which is supposed to happen in October, with a larger goal of completing Ironman Texas next year. I have a few questions about running as it pertains to my current 7.23 training, and then the build-up to Ironman in 2021. One, from the research I have done, there appears to be a training paradigm which suggests a two-hour rule for the long run. I have currently built up a base uh, to run 10 miles in two hours. Should I maintain a two-hour rule and just let my mileage progress as my pace improves? Or should I continue adding mileage to obtain the goal of running 15 miles that is suggested in my current 7.3 plan? Right, thank you, Adam. I will stop here and answer this part of the question first. So, yes, you're right. Two hours is quite common, commonly used as a an upper limit rule of thumb for the long run, at least when it comes to training for a 7.3 race. But uh, as you probably know, there's nothing magical about it at all. It's uh, a nice round number. But uh, to give you an example, for really fast athletes focusing on a 7.3 distance, uh, that they will run very significantly longer than 21 kilometers in a two-hour, even just 7.2 endurance run. So it makes absolutely no sense for them to go any longer than two hours ever if 7.3 is their main focus. But depending on the athlete and things like their injury history, their cap might actually be way lower than that. It could be a one hour 45 minute or even one hour 30 minute uh, run because they they would maybe even maybe even get to 20, 21 kilometers uh, pretty easily in their endurance runs in, in one hour and 20 minutes or at least one hour and 30 minutes. So uh, so yeah, it really depends on the athlete there. And for the faster athletes, two hours is quite long when you consider how much distance you can cover there. In your situation, uh, 10 miles, so 16 kilometers and a bit uh, that's uh, also of course the situation of many many others which is that you're not quite running the race distance of 13 miles or 21 kilometers in your long run so the question then becomes whether to run a longer distance or not and uh, it's a quite tricky one because on the one hand there is an argument for having run the 13 miles in training at least once or maybe twice before doing it in a race but on the other hand at your current pace, that would mean the run is more than two and a half hours long. And that extra 30-something minutes can potentially be exponentially costly in terms of the recovery time needed. And if you end up needing several days of really, really light training or even no training before you're ready to resume your normal training again, then the benefits of going the full distance probably weren't worth it when you compare it to the, the cost of the additional recovery and the reduced training in the days after. So this is a trade-off that a ready-made training plan, of course, has to try and balance as best as possible for the average user of the plan. It cannot account for all the individual circumstances and the individual end user at the end of the day may need to adjust things in their plan based on their circumstances. So from your description of the long-run target using both duration and distance, I know that you're not using a scientific triathlon plan, but even if you were, this same thing applies. Uh, it's only... Uh, targeting to be the best possible starting point uh, for the average target user of the plan uh, but it's not going to be perfect for everybody so uh, there has to be an acknowledgement of that and that the an, an acknowledgement that the individual can and should do adjustments based on their individual circumstances now with the training plan that you're on and to answer the question of what you should do here I would probably recommend that irrespective of whether the plan uses duration or distance as the primary objective of the run workouts, 
Do you follow duration primarily, as it sounds like you have been doing? Generally speaking, going up to two hours is a good target and uh, going further than that or longer than the current 10 miles that you're going will make a lot of the long runs really long in terms of duration which can again exponentially increase the recovery cost that you incur which i don't think is worth it to do uh, on a very regular basis however i would consider lengthening one or two of your runs that you do in the lead up to the race to beyond two hours and this is assuming that you don't have any recent injury history from running and because if you if you were to have that then i think it's better to err on the side of caution and stick to two hours uh, you mentioned later on in your email i haven't read that part yet but that you had a procedure uh three years ago and uh, meniscus uh, uh surgery but if that's not currently a problem and you manage to keep it in check then i would say that you can still count yourself as belonging to this category of not having any recent injury history uh, but you need to make that judgment call at the end of the day and actually uh, working with a physio might be a really good good call here or even an orthopedic doctor but uh, it's also assuming not just uh, injury history but also assuming that you're not already feeling at two hours of running that you need several days to recover properly from the run because if you do then i don't think that going longer will be worth it but if you're fine two days after the long run currently at two hours then I believe that you can lengthen one to two of your long runs in your program as follows. Uh, if you lengthen just one of your runs, then I would make that run a full 13-mile run so you have gone the race distance once in training. And if you choose to lengthen two of the runs, then make the first of them 11.5 to 12 miles, and then the second one, again, a full 13 miles. So you just add a stepping stone on the way to your race distance run. So uh, there you have it. For the most part, follow the duration target of two hours, but consider adding one to two longer runs up to race distance. And uh, in terms of the target distance of the plan of 15 miles at your speed, I do not think that you would benefit from going to 15 miles. It would be three hours probably. So that would be too much. I would recommend avoiding that. Question number two. Uh, so going back to reading Adam's question. Currently in Texas, the heat index is consistently 100 to 105 degrees Fahrenheit. I have noticed that quite a few triathletes now do both long rides and running inside and have even observed quite a distinction between my overall performances on the treadmill compared to running outside. Will doing the majority of my long runs on the treadmill convert to reasonable performance adaptations, assuming temperatures are equal uh, on the treadmill and on race day? So uh, just as a brief note for the listeners here before we get into the answer of the question, the heat index is uh, an index that com combines the air temperature with the relative humidity. So, uh, a, so a location that has uh, a certain fairly high air temperature but a low relative humidity will have a much lower heat index than a location with the same air temperature but a much higher relative humidity and houston texas is uh, known for being very humid so uh, that's why the heat index is consistently very very high and uh, actually a google search tells me that the average humidity for august in houston is around 75 percent and then looking at the heat index table reveals that at an air temperature of 88 fahrenheit or 31 degrees celsius the heat index would be 103 fahrenheit or 39 degrees celsius so right in that range that you mentioned that it uh, consistently is 
And as a comparison, in my Lisbon, the average August humidity is 61% and the average daily high temperature is 28 degrees Celsius or 83 Fahrenheit. So even if running at the hottest time of day, the heat index is only 88 Fahrenheit or 31 degrees Celsius. And mind you, that's at the hottest time of day. That's not the average temperature for the day. So I just had a bit of a nice realization that our weather here is pretty great. Uh, but uh, a heat index or a high heat index is really, really going to impact performance and what sort of training you can and should do in those conditions. Because your body is really limited in how well it can get rid of, of heat. Uh, so basically, in a high heat index environment, you will overheat quickly and easily unless you take precautions of it, which primarily includes things like choosing to run on the treadmill in a cooler, well-ventilated room or gym. Uh, and if running outside, then adjusting the training to the heat index, really. So as an example of the latter, I've heard Steve Magnus, who is a running coach at the University of, in Houston, uh, say that in summer, what they tend to do with, he, with his college athletes is to do two runs per day, uh, but none of the runs would be longer than six miles typically, because any longer than that, and the athletes just start to overheat too much. Uh, there may be some exceptions to this, as it's just what I remember at the top of my head from an old podcast episode. Uh, so don't take my word for the exact uh, accuracy of that statement, but the gist of it, I think, is correct. Anyway, uh, back to, to your particular case, you obviously have your training plan already and completely overhauling it probably isn't the best idea. So the question is, how can you make the most of, of it in the current conditions? And... Uh, to answer that question, I would say that yes, you are probably a lot better off running on the treadmill, at least in your key workouts. So that would include your long runs and also workouts like tempo runs, threshold runs and high intensity intervals, where there is uh, a very likely risk that the heat and humidity is going to be a performance limiting factor if running outdoors. Uh, so yeah, I would say with confidence that in your conditions, you will perform better in workouts if you do them indoors on the treadmill and that will help you improve your fitness more. Because even if it feels as though you're working just as hard outdoors when it's hot, uh, the problem is that your muscles are not working as hard because a lot of the, the effort, it just goes into your body trying desperately to, to dissipate heat and cool itself or keep itself from overheating. And that's the system that's working on overdrive and that takes resources away from the muscles. But the muscles aren't working as hard as they could, so the adaptations won't be the same as they would be if they were working actually quite a lot harder on the treadmill, even though the treadmill workout might feel easier because you don't have to spend as much resources on cooling yourself. And treadmill running will translate well to running outdoors. Just know that to be able to directly translate paces from a treadmill to outdoors, you should run with a slight gradient. And uh, here, this gradient can vary a bit depending on speed. So for fast runners, uh, where air resistance becomes a significant factor outdoors, especially when running at higher intensities, uh, you need a higher grade to compensate for that higher air resistance. So for faster runners, 1% is generally recommended. Uh, for you, I would say that uh, a 0.5% gradient is enough. And that's generally the recommendation for slightly slower runners. Uh, so... 
of course you are also at the mercy of the treadmill being well calibrated if you are to translate any paces so i would recommend never taking the paces too literally but uh, actually i find that these days when going to a good gym uh, the paces feel pretty pretty close to just the perception of effort that i've had running on various treadmills over the last few years has always matched pretty well the the pace that is uh, that the display shows on the treadmill so so i think that the the calibration problem might have been a bigger one five or ten years ago but actually these days i haven't really noticed any treadmill that i've been running on that has had a massive problem with that recently but even if uh, if there is a treadmill like that then that's out of your control uh, so with this in mind just don't rely completely on the displayed pace uh, on the tre- of the treadmill but take rpe into account your rating of perceived exertion and take your heart rate into account as well to adjust the pacing to get the intensity right when running on the treadmill uh, the simple uh, simple fact is that if it feels like you're working way too hard or way too easy then you probably are despite the pace being uh, the displayed pace being exactly where you want it to be you should adjust if if you feel that it's completely wrong also there is a bit of a different feel and potentially a slight difference in how you produce force when running on the treadmill versus outdoors so for these reasons uh, basically you could potentially work with slightly different biomechanics on the treadmill and uh, slightly different force production patterns so i would never recommend doing 100 percent of training on the treadmill but as long as you keep some running outdoors then those differences won't be a big or any issue and uh, as you're still getting and maintaining those biomechanical capabilities from the outdoor runs that you do uh, even if you don't do that many of them and if you can include again coming back to the previous question maybe a few strides in your outdoor runs then you will also practice those biomechanical the motor patterns outdoors and practice that force production without any risk of overheating because the strides are so short so that would be a, a tip for you as well when running on the treadmill you will you should expect to still get hot and sweaty uh, because unfortunately most gyms are not cool enough or have ventilation good enough to be ideal for running but it is still going to be better than running outdoors in the heat index that you describe uh, plus uh, the uh, advantage of running on the treadmill is that you can make sure that you have hydration available easily and uh, potentially you can even do some advanced tactics like bring an ice slurry drink to keep you cool if needed uh, which is something that can actually cause the body to uh, to really uh, cool down a lot because it needs to a, a lot of energy is needed to for the phase change from ice to liquid so that's the uh, uh, the mechanism behind that and i'll link to an episode in the episode description the interview that i did with andrew buckroll actually where we discussed that which is uh, quite an interesting topic But to sum up, from a maximizing performance perspective, I do think that you should do pretty much all of your quality running right now in the current heat index. Uh, So that includes moderate running, it includes hard intensities, and it probably includes long runs as well, even though they are just steady, not even moderate or hard. I I would do all of them on the treadmill, just use a 0.5% grade and make sure that you stay hydrated. And uh, I will, as I said, link to the episode with Andrew Buckroll, and I'll also link to a couple of other episodes, uh, including with uh, Stephen Chung on heat adaptation and with Andy Blow on hydration and cramping and sodium and the impacts that heat and humidity has on that. Finally, Adam's third question is, three years ago, 
I had a torn meniscus and had a meniscectomy done. While I can run without pain, there is a noticeable amount of fluid that remains around my knee. Ice appears to be keeping everything in check. Are you aware of any success stories from Ironman athletes that have had a similar procedure? Uh, take care and keep up the great work, Adam. Uh, so, uh, n- unfortunately, it's not something that I can answer. I mean, I'm sure there are uh, case studies like that, quite, probably quite a lot of them, uh, but uh, nothing comes to mind immediately. And I don't really have any good advice. It's uh, outside of my field of expertise, really. So I would recommend just regularly seeing a really good professional and maybe seeing an orthopedic doctor every four to six months and seeing a physiotherapist once per quarter or so. And that will really be good in terms of a preventive strategy for preventing injury and making sure that everything keeps going as planned. Uh, but yeah, that's as much, much as I have on that question. So that's short and sweet. Uh, so thank you, Adam, for your questions and uh, good luck to you with uh, the summer training in Houston. That's it for today. Keep sending in questions for future Q&A episodes to Michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. As mentioned, go to scientifictriathlon.com to check out the Q&A archives. And also, if you're interested in our training plans or coaching services, then take a look there. And if you want more information, you can also email me about those products and services. On Monday, I interview Professor John Hawley, who is a past guest and a very popular one at that. And we discuss musculoskeletal adaptations to endurance training, train low strategies, so training with low carbohydrate availability. We discuss muscle fiber types and how that affects training strategies and much, much more. It's a really good interview, so stay subscribed or subscribe if you aren't already. And also, if you are a big fan of the podcast, then it would be fantastic if you could leave a rating and a review. Finally, thank you to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your order of electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Go and check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can get on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.